This is Carte Blanche, the podcast. One story every day that matters. Delve into the issues that impact you. Whether you're in need of a better understanding of the world around you or simply seeking inspiration or unique perspectives, you'll find it all here. Palapalam. It's been all the talk in recent weeks and headlines on the so-called farm gate have been streaming in. But despite Parliament having voted against accepting the Palapala panel report, essentially getting Ramaphosa off the hook for now, the ANC still has a serious dilemma. With its two top candidates facing serious allegations, what will the leadership of the ruling party look like? And will the ANC-NEC deliver an organization that could potentially win back disillusioned voters? We speak to political analyst Ongamam Timka. Dr. Mtimka, here we find ourselves in a position where it's a two-horse race. We've got sitting president, President Ramaphosa, as well as his contender, Dr. Zuelin Kize. Are these the best candidates the ANC has? These are not the best candidates the ANC has. The processes of the ANC are not meant to give you the best, but the most powerful. The structure of campaigning and management of succession politics depends on a network of power brokers from national to local levels who can position a candidate among the branches and coordinate uh, and collaborate with their national counterparts to make sure that a person emerges regardless of what their vision is or regardless of whether it is strategic to have them lead the party. So it's the most powerful, definitely not the best. So this system was already designed to make sure that they don't put their best foot forward. Absolutely. Um, The reason why that is the case, it's because people in the ANC are still using this archaic, false humility approach that says, no, I don't want to lead, but if the branches uh, say I must lead, then I I have to accept the nomination. The reason why they think that's a virtue, it's all that culture of, sacrificed during the liberation struggle where it was those who are ahead of you who could say to you, now you are ready to lead. But in a democratic period, you want a leader to tell us why they should be elected, to tell the rank and file membership why they and not somebody else should be uh, considered to lead the party. And in fact, what is it that they bring to the table? So, the, the, because of the structure of how they do things, you don't know what, the, what their campaign platform is. It's better this year because they've allowed a degree of open campaigning. But I saw someone comment uh, on social media say, President Silramaposa has been well behaved of all the candidates. He hasn't been going around saying, I must be elected and this is why. And I was thinking, that's precisely what's wrong. Yeah. So he's emerging on the basis of a structured power network that is supporting him. And we don't know why he must come back. Anyway, we can discern why, analyze. But uh, it would be great for the party's politics to be pushed towards open and free campaigning among the rank and file membership in order to become a true democracy. 
Because often we hear about it's the branches, it's the branches, it's the branches. And for us who are just ordinary citizens and not members of any political party, these people who are the branches are like an enigma of sort. We don't know why they're making the decisions they're making, but we follow suit. Yes, it's a highly manipulated process because, for example, meetings get arranged and campaigning is done up to the last warm body. Um, and, and you would find that meetings are constituted in an irregular way. People's membership is deemed none, uh, not in good standing when it, when it is. And whether or not a membership is going to be deemed in good standing or not depends on that branch. Who does it support leading up to the conference? So it's a system that's geared for manipulation and not for merit. Uh, people should be able to go and tell branches why they should be the ones who get chosen. And branches should be checking that against their performance and say, in fact, this is somebody whom we need uh, to appoint. Back to your point that it's enigmatic. So we, we don't know what, what determines voter behavior at that level. There's been a, a proposal from the Eastern Cape to say, eliminate this thing of having delegates who represent a tiny fraction of the rank-and-file membership of the ANC to have them vote for a candidate because they are open to manipulation. Have the entire membership vote. The ANC the brought that to the NASRAC 2017 conference. They didn't follow through on it. That could have helped the party. But no ANC, no powerful ANC politician can push it through because they know that once that happens, they lose the power to control. Going back to that 2017 elective conference, I mean, it was tense. Like you're saying, they compete and campaign till the very last second. I mean, we were sitting there as journalists wondering what was going to happen because all these irregular and informal meetings were happening behind the scenes. Can we afford for that in 2022? Can we afford for these informal meetings, these backhanded meetings? Shouldn't there be more transparency? Sure. So what is at stake in the succession politics of the ANC this time is that at the, in, leading to NASRAC, there was manipulation of ideological standpoints to say RET versus another policy. And then NASRAC happens. It seems to me that all the ideological battles that needed to be fought in the ANC have been fought. Now we are dealing with something which has got, you know, crisis implications, depending on which way the conference goes. So President Ramaphosa has been in, in typical post-war rebuilding, like in countries that have been in war. One of the things you do is to rebuild institutions that have been eroded. So the battle that's currently taking place, it's between the continuity in institution building and the potential to derail that project. And there are huge vested interests that's why people are spending huge amounts of money to make sure that their candidates win. Now, you mentioned the horse trading that happened uh, leading up to NASRAC. What's interesting this time is that President Sil Ramaphosa is a lot more dominant, and I think that the outcome of this NASRAC too may be a lot less of a stalemate than NASRAC 1. Um, Do you get a sense that it's Ramaphosa's win? He, he's having a bull run, to borrow from stock market language. He's having a bull run and he seems to be leading the campaign by huge numbers. Um, but if you look at the numbers that support him and the numbers that uh, 
Paul Mashatile has towards the conference. Now, roles have been swapped. Paul is DD in terms of what happened in Nazrek. So uh, how much Paul is open to negotiating affects the extent to which we can say Cyril Ramaphosa is dominant. And it's not about their power and influence publicly. It's about the power and influence internally. So we could still see Ramaphosa ousted and someone like a Paul Mashadilo or Dr. Zuelim Kizi. Absolutely spot on. And that's where the risk that the conference dynamics pose to the rest of the country have got to be taken uh, you know, seriously. It's, it's in precisely that unaccountable behind the scenes constitution of power uh, because we don't know what constitutes it. We don't know who are the power brokers that enable these people, to what lengths these people will go to erode the constitutional order of the republic. So some of the people who've been opposed to President Cyril Ramaphosa, for example, are people who are aggrieved by the reaffirmation of the constitutional order of the republic. They're angry that power is limited, political power is limited. They envisage an environment in which they have unfettered power, which they can use in parliament, in the executive. And in fact, as we have seen, they are taking the war to the judiciary as well. They would want the judiciary to become less uh, focused on cases before them, but more embroiled in the politics of the day. Basically, they would want an approach where parliament and not the constitutional court had the final say. Is this from where you coined your term constitutional chaos? Yeah, we are flirting with chaos uh, that is deeply concerning. These political networks have made inroads into various economic sectors. And also, they've made inroads in government departments. Uh, they had made inroads in law enforcement agencies. Now, if power shifts and falls on the wrong group, what we have is state capture too. Well, there are many ways in which we continue to have state capture of a different kind, but the kind of state capture that makes me have sleepless night is one that seeks to compromise the constitutional integrity of our republic and the ability to make sure that those who break the law get to be prosecuted. And it's chilling when I think about the potential consequences of power falling into the wrong hands. But also, I get the comfort from the fact that the system is greater than the constitutive parts. So South Africa is not only party politics that make up stability in South Africa. It's all that, that dance between the legal, the political, and the economic. And it's impossible for this group, even though they make inroads, it's impossible for them to completely control everything. Regardless of who wins at this elective conference, the ANC is going to have a weaker standing at our next general election. Are we sitting on a ticking time bomb of sorts? So that helps me bring this point. So the ANC, whether or not the ANC shifts uh, to good or wrong, wrong hands, we then have got the comfort that as a dominant factor in our politics, they are declining. So what that means is that whatever power they manage to amass at the level of the party will not automatically translate to power in the legislative house as well as in government.
that sounds encouraging to it is, most it, people. In fact, this has been a source of my encouragement to various stakeholders in the country. And I've had the feedback. People say, wow, that, that actually is a message of hope, despite this uh, flirting with chaos rhetoric, that the preeminence of a systems approach, the, the greatness of the system and how big it is compared to just the political. So that's why I argue that I don't subscribe to the idea that the fall of the ANC itself means chaos for the country. In fact, my argument is that if the ANC didn't fall and power fell in the wrong hands, we would see greater chaos in the country. Well, on that note of hope, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your insights. Only a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Remember, you can now access Carte Blanche stories anytime, anywhere, even offline. Carte Blanche, the podcast, is now available on all major podcast platforms. So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button and be part of our growing online family.